holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. And welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. Hope you're well. Uh, apologies if my voice is a little bit croaky throughout this one, but um, it's not that I've been shouting, but I've been doing a bit of traveling, and you know how the, uh, the air on airplanes plays havoc with your voice. You tend to pick up all this recycled, regurgitated air, and people's farts and coughs go into the air system and they're pumped from the back of the plane straight into your unsuspecting mouth. You don't know anything about it, but you're actually eating other people's farts and coughs whenever you go on a plane. So that's kind of why my voice is a little bit, a little bit croaky. Um, Farts and coughs that weren't mine. You know, it's one thing when they're your own, but like other people's, anyway, but it was good. I had good travels. I was in Oslo. I was in Norway for the first time. And it was strange. I met quite a number of people who uh, who said to me, and uh, is this your first time in Norway? And I said, yes. And they went, oh my God, I can't believe, this is your first time here in Oslo? It's like, yeah. You know, I'm from Ireland. When we travel places, we tend to go where it's warmer, where the weather isn't worse than it is here. So we go south, you know, Spain and things, the Canaries, Cyprus and all that. But it was great. I really loved Oslo. The people are super friendly. Maybe I was just really lucky. Oslo could be a town of absolute wankers. But everybody I met was spot on. Really nice. Really helpful. And of course, they all spoke English, which was great. Very handy for me, of course, who doesn't speak any Norwegian whatsoever. I, I like the airport. I like the train in from the airport straight into the center of Oslo. Um in like 20 minutes. It's brilliant. You go out and you get on the train and then you're there. Whereas here in Dublin, if you arrive in Dublin, you've got two ways of getting into the city centre. You can get a bus or you can get a taxi. Bus is slow and, you know, full of farts and coughs and stuff like that. And a taxi, of course, is expensive. Um, Although I have no idea how much the train cost, now that I think about it. I went to buy a ticket and the girl said, yeah, you don't need to do that. Just swipe your credit card and and it'll do the business. And it did. It was great. Super efficient. But I actually have no idea how much it cost. It was probably really expensive. Seeing as everything else was, was pretty expensive over there. But that's because they're all oil barons, so I was told. Everybody owns a bit of the oil, you see, and uh, they're all, you know, that, that's it. That's why everything is uh, is so expensive. And there's some weird, like, um, weird little things. Like, I, um, I was over giving a talk at the Norwegian Institute of Journalism. And there was about 18 or 16 or 18 people in this uh, in this workshop. And I was giving a talk about, I think, entrepreneurship and, and um, you know, how you can make your own 
business out of journalism and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, we were talking about Arsblog. So I gave them the full history of, of Arsblog, how it began, the, the origins of it from my humble beginnings as a terrible web designer and how it, how it became the site it is today. And while I, was, um, while I was telling them the history of the site, a story occurred to me that I haven't thought of for a long time. And that was after about two years of doing Arsblog, maybe two and a half years, I said uh, to myself, now I said... Um, I should probably tell my wife about this thing that I do every day, this website, because she had no idea. Mrs. Bloggs was doing her thing. She knew I was trying to do website stuff, but she didn't know quite what it was. And I said it to Mrs. Bloggs today when I came back. I was going, oh, I was telling them that story, remember, when I uh, told you about Arsblog for the first time? And she was like, what? And I remember where we were. We were in this um, restaurant in Barcelona called Quatregats. We were in there, and I said to her, look, I've got something to tell you. And, uh, of course, that's never a good thing, never a good sign when somebody says, I've got something to tell you. But uh, I said, you know this um, stuff I do upstairs in my, my office there, you know, website stuff. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this stuff about Arsenal, and people are reading it, and they're, you know, they're liking it and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, it's you know, it's now a fairly intrinsic part of my life. So I thought I should tell you, my wife all about it. And they laughed at that story, actually. That was good. They laughed at all the right bits and, and looked uh, serious and, and studious at the bits where I was trying to impart knowledge and education on them. But uh, the day that it was happening, I was kind of nervous because it's been a while since I've done any kind of speaking like that, any public speaking. Obviously, I was an English teacher for uh, a while in Spain, but that's a bit different because, A, you're either teaching kids or you're teaching adults, some of whom want to be there, most of whom, in fact, want to be there. That's why they're in a classroom, and they're adults. They've chosen to be there. The children, of course, are very different. But it's been, God, I can't remember the last time I did. Well, 2005 or something like that was the last time I did, uh, I did that. So I was feeling a little bit nervous, a little bit nervous. So I went uh, up the street from where it was taking place, and I found a bar. I went into the bar. It's open. There's people in the bar. They're sitting around. They're drinking. It was half twelve in the day, I know, but hey, you know, a little little something just to calm my nerves. That's all I wanted. I didn't want to go crazy, not at that time. So I went up to the bar, and the barman said uh, something to me in Norwegian. I said, um, hello, and he went, oh, what can I get you, in his perfect, perfect English. Uh, and I said to him, can I please have uh, a bullet uh, bourbon? And he said, no. And I said, um, why not? And he said, You've got, it's, you can't, you just can't, it's the law. After one o'clock, I can serve you hard liquor, but until then, you can only, you can only drink beer. So I was like, okay, fair enough. I didn't have a beer because um, the problem, if I'd had a beer about halfway through the talk, I would have been like, um, I'll be back in just a moment whilst I um, go over to that place there to, to do a wee, which I don't think is most professional thing to do. So that's why I was just going to have something short and obviously a bit stronger. A beer is just a beer, whereas, you know, you get the old when you, you know, drink a whiskey. But there you go. That was that was the only real downside, I guess, to to Norway, that if you want to drink whiskey in a bar before one o'clock, you, you, you simply can't do it. But that's the rules. And, uh, you know, you got to live with them. Well, the people of Oslo and Norway, they certainly have to live with them. I don't. Because I don't, I don't live there. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really cool place. Um, and uh, I'd like to go back at, 
at some point. Um, I was out for dinner with some of the people from the, the Institute of Journalism, and then we caught about the last half an hour of the Champions League games in a bar called the Bohemian, maybe? La Boheme? I don't know what it was, but it was full of TV screens and full of people watching the matches, and uh, quite a lot of Bayern Munich fans in there who were quite vocal in their unhappiness at what had happened to them against Porto, which, you know, kind of funny. You have to say. And then Luis Suarez doing all that stuff to, to David Luiz. Whew, people were laughing and pointing. You know, even far away, I'm sure David Luiz could feel all the people laughing and pointing at him. Um, so that was that was my week. Spent some time just wandering around Oslo as well. And so it's absolutely lovely. Really nice. Um, and not very big either, uh, I guess, because, uh, you know, I was able to go in a giant circle and I ended up right back where I started, which tends to happen if you go in a giant circle. So if you've never been to Oslo and, um, you know, you're looking for somewhere to, to go, well, you should try it, provided you're also an oil baron and you can afford it. Uh, I'd say give it a bash. Why not? Why not? And this has not been paid for or suggested by the Norwegian Tourist Board, with whom I had absolutely no dealings whatsoever. So there you go. So that was kind of it. The other thing that, um, I won't say it struck me this week, but I noticed it. And um, like, what's the deal with Twitter accounts of big websites wishing people happy birthday, like former footballers? But what's going on there? Like, who gives a fuck if it's somebody's birthday? This is now becoming a thing that, you know, Oh, happy 47th birthday to Carlos Valderrama or happy 38th birthday to Malcolm Christie, former Derby legend. Like, why? I wish they would stop doing that because I find it unfeasibly annoying. Maybe that's just me, but where is it going to stop? Is it going to, like, congratulate them on their communion day? Wedding anniversaries? The day their dog died? What is going on? So football websites, using your Twitter account to wish random footballers happy birthday, well, you know, please, stick to the football, stop it. Maybe I should just, you know, mute them or not, you know. But they're all doing it, that's the problem. They're all doing it, now it'll become so commonplace that we'll get every footballer that ever lived is going to be wished happy birthday on Twitter, and we won't be able to escape it. When they get Twitter in our minds implants, Twitter implants in our brains, and we'll wake up seeing these happy birthday messages to all the footballers who ever lived on that day, who were ever born on that day, and who died on that day. But that could be that could be just me um, being a little bit overly sensitive to stuff. You know, It's been a long week, what can I tell you? Right, I suppose we should get on and talk about Arsenal and football and all that kind of stuff, given that there is a, a rather important game taking place at Wembley Stadium this weekend. So um, let's talk about that and other stuff besides uh, with a couple of guests. First off, from Gunnarholic.com. It is the Gunnarholic. Good evening to you, sir. Good evening, Blogs. Thanks for inviting me again. Uh, my pleasure, as always. And Andrew Allen, good evening to you. Hello to you, sir. Um, Holic, can I start with you? And maybe it's just me because I've been away uh, and not sort of on top of things. But um, we've got an FA Cup semi-final tomorrow. And it, it all is it me or does it feel a little bit underwhelming? Um, 
No, I, I think it might be you because I'm starting. I've started to get the buzz this afternoon. Right. My tweet is kind of we're 49 hours away from a trip to Wembley, and it doesn't change the older you get. You thought I'd have been a bit more cynical about it, wouldn't you? But yeah, no, it's. Uh, um, I'm not a great, in full agreement with the semi-finals being played at Wembley, but that isn't going to be changed now because the bloody thing's got to be paid for. Mm. And, you know, if we're having problems sorting out the ticket allocation for Wembley, what the hell would it be like for Villa Park and Hillsborough? So, yeah. uh, no, I, I have got the buzz a little bit, I have to say. All right, then it's just me. Andrew, uh, you know, uh, how, how are you feeling about it now? Are your nerves tingling? Uh, excitement's building, yeah, certainly. And um, I mean, I think maybe a little bit of it is just that Reading perhaps don't hold the, the glamour uh, of a of a Premier League opponent potentially. But at the same time, I think if if it was one of the big teams, I'd be absolutely shitting myself right now. <laughs> so it's quite nice to sort of ease in to another Wembley trip, knowing that I mean we are favourites. But I mean, I think back to last year, yeah, big team it, like Wigan. I know, and but the thing is, the the atmosphere around the club was completely different, wasn't it? I mean, we were all very tense about that, and there was so much. Arsenal were such overwhelming favourites to win the competition already at that stage because of the other semi final that uh, you know it, it all got a bit tetchy. So I'm hoping this time we might just be able to, you know, enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, I mean, sticking with you, it it does feel like a very different. Um a different atmosphere going into it because there was so much pressure wasn't there this time last season where the league title challenge that people were enjoying and I don't know how people didn't enjoy that period when we were top of the table for a long time and playing uh, pretty efficient football if not the most exciting football you've ever seen from Arsenal that fell apart and then it felt like so much hinged uh, so much hinged on this this FA Cup semi-final um, but you know having won it last season um, and, and playing the way we are at the moment, it just feels a little bit more uh, more positive. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it feels great. I mean, this time last year, it certainly felt like um, over the course of the early parts of the season that the fan base had kind of healed a few of the rifts that were, uh, you know, had opened up. But in the weeks before the semi-final, they'd all been kind of really opened up again, and they were, you know, they were they were pretty gruesome. And I I remember being at the semi-final and just just the arguments amongst fans in the Arsenal end when we were 1-0 down it was just a really not a very nice atmosphere and I ended yeah. up I remember at the end of the season picking Mertesacker's goal as the kind of the decisive goal of the season I felt it was my favourite goal of the season because it really felt like an outpouring of emotion on the day I mean this this year it just couldn't be any more different I mean the, the club and pretty much every player has spoken of it there's just a everything seems to have clicked the players have gelled there's um I mean, the results speak for themselves. I mean, we're on an unbelievable run, the best we've been on in 10 years, and, and, and we're facing an opponent in Reading who, quite frankly, aren't having the, the greatest couple of months. I think they haven't won a game in six or something. So, you know, confidence is there. we just got to make sure that we, you know, temper that confidence and, and treat the game professionally. Mm. Holick, how much do we have to balance the it's cup football, you can't take anything for granted, we all remember what happened against Wigan last year, with the fact that Arsenal are on a tremendous run with a team that's probably better than the team that won the Cup last season playing against a team that's 18th in the Championship. Uh, you're asking someone who was there and when we were 4-1 down in a League Cup tie at Reading a couple of years back. So yeah. the, But the did potential... we not go on to win that 1-7-5 with consummate <laughs> ease, with goals from Maru and Shamak and, and stuff? <laughs> 
consumer ease doesn't come into it. But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. No, I, I think this side at the moment, there is a the only danger, of course, is in overconfidence and them being a little bit too cocksure of themselves. And I'm absolutely certain that Arsene's spoken about that in his press co- press conference yesterday. Uh, that they've got that angle covered. Uh, what's most interesting for me is that they put together another performance mm. because at Burnley we weren't at our most, what's the word he likes to use as efficient, we didn't really get going at Burnley, did we? I'd like to see us do it at the weekend. Yeah, probably a better pitch just about. Oh, yes. At Wembley <laughs> than uh, than the one at Turf Moor. Yeah. Uh, sticking with you... Um, it's difficult to know what kind of changes he's going to make, but we know for sure that there's going to be at least one, and that's Wojciech Chesney coming in for, for David Ospina. And the irony, of course, is that Chesney, being the number one goalkeeper last season, was left out of the final, and having lost his place as the number one goalkeeper, could very well find himself playing in a final if, we're, if we get past Reading. So it's a big game for him. Uh, yes, it certainly is. And as for the other 10, I think it was telling, uh, again in the press conference, when asked about whether he'd be using other players, Arsene didn't come out with the usual, well, we might be rotating a couple line because he's used the same 11 players or same 10 outfield players, let's put it, for the last two league matches. I think he's decided that's his best starting lineup at the moment. And I would be surprised to see that change. But what is interesting is what will happen on the bench because at Burnley there was no Gabrielle on the substitutes bench mm. there was no Jack Wilshire on the substitutes bench um, who is going to lose out in order to make way for those two because certainly Gabrielle's got to get back on there if he's fit and well again yeah. you would have thought Wilshire has probably earned it with his performance in the under 21s the other night so is there a shocking storm maybe for Theo maybe for Callum Chambers I don't know yeah Maybe Chambers might be the obvious one to to miss out in that regard. Andrew, um, what do you reckon in terms of um, the team and what he might do? I mean, I still think he might make a few changes, to be honest. Um, He's got some form in that regard. If we remember in the semi-final last season, and I don't know if this is to do with squad rotation or faith in a player or underestimating the opposition, but he started Yaya Sanogo um, in in the semi-final against Wigan. Um, this time, if he does decide to leave Olivier Giroud out, he's got a much more reliable, uh, higher-quality option at his disposal in, in Danny Welbeck, whose goal uh, against Manchester United got us into into this game. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you're you're very right about Arsenal springing the odd surprise in the FA Cup. I mean, it is a competition that, you know, Thierry Henry didn't often play in. I mean, we had that 2005 final where Dennis Bergkamp started up front with Ali Adier. And then, you know, a few years ago when we were in the semi-final against Chelsea and Arshavin had just joined and was absolutely on fire and he dropped Arshavin. So I wouldn't, like you say, be surprised if he uses the game as an opportunity to, to kind of, uh, you know, for a couple of the uh, the new well I say the new guys the like new signing guys um, <laughs> back on the pitch I think Jack will probably be on the bench as for up front I actually I think Giroud may start I wouldn't be surprised though if if Welbeck gets a run out kind of on one of the flanks and he gives someone else a break um, I think the interesting one will be at right back whether Bellerin gets to keep his place I guess he you know you'd back him to at this stage um, it's just difficult when you start to look at the games now 
with these players who are returning from injury when they do get a game because what's more important at this stage I mean obviously we'd like to win the FA Cup and we want to try and push on in the league but every game's important so at some point something's got to give mm. um, does Arsenal think that this is the game that we can win and give minutes to those players he may well do so um, yeah, well, that, I, that's a gamble as well, though, isn't it? Because if it if it if it doesn't work, then the immediate reaction is, well, you had a winning team that's won eight games on the trot. Why, why would you mess around with that? I mean, there's eight days between the semi final and the Chelsea game the following week, so it's not as if yeah. you know there's midweek competition or anything like that to worry about. No, it's true. I mean, I guess for you look tired. I take it the caffeine, toothpaste, and adrenaline face serum aren't working? Well, maybe you should ask Santa for a Nectar mattress this year. And if the big guy brings you another unicorn finger puppet, don't worry, because mattresses start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com today. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Arson, he'll say that I mean he he has a squad, not a, a set number of players who are that he trusts. So he he backs everybody he has. And the other thing is, is if he wants to get these guys playing in the latter stages of the season, or if they need to come back, say there's an injury to someone, wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it be good if they had some minutes competitively mm. in a game where they've been trusted from the outset? Um, I think Arsenal's, you know, long in the tooth enough to be able to take the risk and, and not worry too much about the consequences. But I'd say if we can't beat Reading with the squad that we've got, let alone, you know, yeah. the squad that's on the great form that we've got at the moment, then, you know, we've probably got bigger problems than the odd mm. decision here and there. That's true. I mean, if he does pick Sonogo in a semi-final last season when Sonogo was even more raw than he is mm. this season, and well, still you, is... Yeah. If he picks Sonogo this time, well, that we really would have got to be a surprise. That certainly would be a turn-up for the books. Holiday, do you see any changes anywhere? I mean, could uh, Kieran Gibbs come in for Nacho Monreal, for example? Uh, it's a possibility, but no, I, I really do think he's settled on his outfield 10 for now. Like you say, the gap between the games, now that we haven't got the Champions League and all these midweek games to worry about, other than all the ones that are getting shifted to Monday at 8 o'clock so nobody can get there. Um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, no, I, I, I really do think he's going to go with the same outfield 10 and they're, they're, they're just producing such a run I think the balance of the side looks right we've got that balance between particularly defence and attack in the midfield five is absolutely cracking at the moment so mm. I, I would stay with it um, I mean do you see for example Aaron Ramsey continuing on the right hand side of midfield which is an interesting development in terms of the team and and obviously, it's having implications for somebody like Theo Walcott, um, who now appears to be very open to discussing a new contract, um, despite the fact that he's not playing. Or, well, certainly that's the story that's going around. So, I mean, is Ramsey going to continue on the right hand side, or could he modify the way the team is set up slightly, where he could move Ramsey more central, shift Alexis to the right, Ozil on the left a little bit? 
I think they do that during the course of the game. There is a fair bit of flexibility in there if you have a look, and particularly Urzil, Alexis, and Kavola do an awful lot of uh, interchanging. Mm. But yes, Ramsey comes into that as well, and it gives you the option as well of dropping him back and playing alongside Coquelin if we need to steady the ship for a few minutes as well. So no, I think there's a nice little balance in there at the moment. Mm. That is the that is the thing, though, Andrew, isn't it? It's just about trying to maintain the momentum without upsetting things too much. It's why I, I kind of think the fullbacks might be the obvious changes, and I, I think Welbeck for Giroud would be... I think he might he might do that, fullbacks and, and striker. And the rest of it, you know, um, remains the balanced unit it has been over the last few uh, few weeks. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I, I certainly think, as you brought up earlier, that the, the, the team selection at Manchester United... Um, when he chose Welbeck over Giroud, I mean, obviously there were you know Welbeck United connections there, which may have played a part. But um, I think he may well be tempted to stick with it in that in that case. I mean, Chamberlain started that day on the right, and he's not played since. And it sounds as though he's out injured for a couple more weeks as well. So I guess if Welbeck goes on the uh, goes up front, what happens on the right? Do they stick with Ramsey, or do we you know? try and shuffle things around a little bit i you know i don't think it'll be too many changes but whatever team he puts out i, I firmly uh, trust them to do the job that's for sure mm. all right well um there really isn't much point in in discussing anything that isn't this game because you can't look beyond it and the implications that it will have for the season and, and the rest of the season um but i wanted to talk maybe a little bit about what the the fa have done like this is their premier cup competition and they've scheduled Chelsea versus Manchester United at the same time. Um, is there? I mean, can anyone see any logic in that? Well, I mean, when I saw the the fixtures released, I can't remember whether the Arsenal game was pitted first, and then Sky decided to kind of make a selection for their their Saturday evening game, got the Manchester United game, decided to stick with it at that time. I'm not really sure on the flexibility of how you know how, how many choices they get to, to go with. I mean it's if Sky it's Sky already had it, Andrew. So Sky already had it. Okay. Yeah. So it's the BBC have decided to go head to head with Sky, in which case you can assume it must be a kind of corporation thing and then it's it's about battling for that Saturday evening TV schedule which then becomes a bigger argument I guess outside of football isn't it yeah and, and the BBC are pissed off because they've got no premiership highlights even yeah. so they're they're quite happy to, to, to take on and make that a competition how do you mean they've got no highlights uh sorry no live no live premiership matches ah right okay sure um but uh Going on from that, what I can't believe is although BBC have every right to pick what game they like, I can't believe, for example, the police have allowed the two games to take place at the same time. Well, that was the other thing I was going to bring up. Obviously, Chelsea and uh, you know Chelsea are at home, um, and uh, you know I guess that that happens where Chelsea and Arsenal are at home. But you know, given that both games are evening kickoffs, and it's fair to say the odd pint might be um, consumed along the way. Um, that that it could cause some hassles, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't imagine there'll be kind of pitch battles in the streets of London or anything like that. I mean, for the most part, famous think... last words, right? There. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, I, I think what's strange is that it's not the first time this season that the BBC have tampered with the fixtures. I mean, I couldn't, for the life of me, see why they decided to put the 
uh, the Manchester United game on the Monday night. I mean, that really didn't make sense for anybody because it took it out of a weekend schedule where surely they were likely to get loads and loads of viewers and they forced you know, all the Arsenal fans to go up to United at a ridiculous time and they pretty much lost a PR battle on that because they look like idiots amongst football fans. And now you've got to put kind of one of the most prestigious fixtures in Manchester United v Chelsea on at the exact same time as half the, you know, as Arsenal would love, to, Arsenal fans would love to watch that game. It's a big game, yeah. you know, that affects our chances in the Premier League. I mean, it's, it is incredibly frustrating. And you kind of, you know, for even Arsene Wenger to mention it in the press conference today and just sort of raise an eyebrow and say, look, I was really surprised. It sounds like, you know, you'd have thought the contracts would stipulate that you don't basically have two of the bank the main competitions in england battling for each other's affections it's stupid amongst fans you know yeah i mean ultimately it, uh, both games take away from each other in a way um you know from a viewing point of view it's only going to <laughs> split viewers i suppose chelsea versus manchester united is going to be a bit more attractive to to the neutral though um which then takes away from the FA Cup itself and you know they've done so much damage to the to the club as a tournament in the way that they've run it um you know having the semi-finals at Wembley for so many years which is just is pretty awful the the shambles that is Wembley um in terms of the atmosphere before the game loud music you know everything else you would think they would do more to protect um th- this particular tournament Holly. Yeah, I can't understand for the life of me why, um, for example, the Saturday, whether it was us on Saturday or whoever, there's no reason why you can't have a semi-final kicking off at three o'clock, and it's probably an awful lot better for everybody concerned. The supporters are going to be able to get there and get home. Uh, all right, there's not going to be that much of a problem for Arsenal and Reading anyway. But yeah. you know, if, you, if you've got Liverpool playing at the same time, then are they going to get trains home? Is everybody going to have to come down? I, I don't think the supporters get thought of at all when these things are being discussed. And you're not going to tell me that at three o'clock on a Saturday, they're not going to get a big audio, a big television audience for an FA Cup semi-final. Absolutely. Are they allowed to show a game at three o'clock? On a Saturday, I mean, is that even if it's the FA Cup? I know they can't. Archaic in, law, isn't there between? Yeah, I know they can't five. in the Premier League. I don't, but, think, but you can show any live football because remember there was a Classico that kicked off, um, uh, like uh, yeah. forty-five or something like that. You know, and and they missed the first fifteen minutes of the game. Ah, Sky weren't even allowed to show Spanish football between three and five. So maybe that's the issue with with a game on, on Saturday. Well, the thing is, I mean, it wouldn't be that difficult to put both games on the Sunday and just have one after the other, you know. it's it, it, You mean it's, Chelsea, Man United and... No, well, I mean, I mean Arsenal and uh, Reading. Uh, and, oh, well, this is because they have to use Wembley, I guess. I was just thinking back to the old days when, you know, you could put two semifinals one after the other because they were in two different parts of the country. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was... <laughs> Obviously, I've completely neglected the whole Wembley thing. Oh, you've just, completely forgotten about Liverpool and Aston Villa. They're yeah, irrelevant. Yeah, they are. Well, yeah, I, I'd, I'd probably at this point, given how confused I've just got, probably suggest <laughs> play, play it at Villa Park as well. Um, <laughs> if we give everybody a set of uh, ice skates, it'll be fine. <laughs> right, look, very quickly, I want to move on. And, and final thing to talk about, uh, Andrew, Alexis Sanchez is one of the nominations for the uh, for the Player of the Year. Um, does he deserve to win it? Can he push? I, I guess Eden Hazard is, is going to be the guy who's who's going to be right up there. I mean, Coutinho, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> you know, is Alexis going to be up there or or do we give a shit one way or the other? I think if you ask any neutral football fan, 
whether they've enjoyed Alexis Sanchez this year, they would all say yes. I think he's a player who's definitely brought something new to the Premier League. And he's done brilliantly, you know, 20 goals. I think I was just watching Sky just now and they said that his, you know, score, his, his assists and scoring record is, is, is up there with, with Hazard. Um, it's better than Hazard. Yeah, yeah, it's better than Hazard. But I mean, it's, he's, he's, um, he's not going to win it, I don't think. I think Hazard will win it. And mm. I've got this feeling that, you know, Kane will have got a whole host of votes given the, the timing of the, the uh, election process. And obviously he's flavor of the month. He's had so many headlines. And at the time the guys were, the players were voting, I think he'd just been called up to England. He just scored and all the rest of it. So, um, I suspect that there'll be a wave of support for him. Um, I, I, I'm surprised more that Coutinho got a, got a got a nod I can't help but think and obviously I'm biased but I think Cazorla has had a much better season than than Coutinho um but no good on Alexis I think that's a real kind of tip of the cap to him for a first season to be nominated I mean it doesn't happen to many players mm. Holic your thoughts I, think I mean it, should we like be worried about individual awards in a team game worried no but you know it'd be something else to crow about worried to get it wouldn't it but I agree <laughs> I'd take the point in time. I'm not entirely sure he's our best player because, as Andrew just mentioned, Santi Cazorla, I think, has been an absolute revelation this season. I I love Santi too, but in terms of end product and and impact on the team and and just pure... End product, I'll give you, but impact on the team, I think he's been the most significant player we've had on the park. I love it, but come on, we could could have possibly done without (laughs) Santi what we could not have done without Alexis's goals. Would that be fair, or you know? No, I don't think we could have done it without Santi. Right. It's interesting. I feel like a, a bit like used to happen with the the Invincibles team. There's been a bit of a baton pass from sort of section to section of the season. Um, I, I used to sort of feel that when Henri went out of form, Perez would come into it, and even when Perez dropped, you know, Bergkamp and Lundberg, or even a Wiltord would come in. And this season, I feel like we started to build up some of that momentum. And you know, Alexis obviously carried the team on his back for early parts of the season, and then Santi really stepped up just after Christmas. And and since then, we've had Messi come back, and he's been brilliant. And Ramsey's come back into it as well. And you know, I think that's. I mean, Arsenal would point out and say, look, team team is what matters. You know these individual awards. I think even Mourinho was saying the other day that he thought the individual rewards were a little bit, mm. a little bit silly. But you're yeah. right. You're right about Coutinho. I mean, he's not even fit to be Santi's butler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of Santi Gazzola having a butler. <laughs> if anything, Santi looks like a butler, doesn't he? He does, kind of, <laughs> yeah. And he'd be a really conscientious butler because he's so happy and he'd like to make you happy with a, you know, three o'clock in the morning and you want a sandwich, Santi would be there and he'd, he'd get up and make it for you. Yeah, he could make it with his left hand, he could make it with his right hand. (laughs) Cut the cheese with one hand and, you know, slice the ham with the other. It'd be brilliant. It'd be brilliant. And, uh, of course, Diego Costa, up for uh, Young Player of the Year, 18 years of age. It's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually, that's interesting because we're up against Yakubu this weekend. He must be about 70 by now. (laughs) Uh, Is he playing for Reading? He's playing for Reading, yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. They've wow. got a few, they've got a few old names in there. Uh, Obafemi Martins. <laughs> was it uh, Progrebniak, the uh, the Russian guys there? Is he still there? He's yeah. still there. Uh, Anton Ferdinand is there, so we get to you know enjoy the delights of Anton. Right. Yeah, Zach Knight. There's a name from the past as well. Wow. Yeah. Did he? Oh no, that was Curtis Davis. I always mix him up. Him and <laughs> Curtis Davis, I, you know, because uh, they're both very tall. 
They um, are very tall. All right. Well, look, gents, thank you very much indeed for your time. Let's keep fingers crossed uh, for the weekend that we can uh, make it to Wembley for a second time at the end of May. Gunnar Hollick, thank you. Thank you very much, Blogs. And Andrew Allen, cheers as always. Thank you very much. Thank you indeed to the gentleman in question. You know where to find them. You can get Gunnar Hollick at GunnarHollick.com uh, or on Twitter at the Hollick. And Andrew, you'll find him writing for Ars Blog News. And, of course, he's on Twitter at A. Allen Sport, at A. Allen Sport. Um, I have to admit, at this point in the evening, um, having been up really ridiculously early uh, to travel back from Oslo, um, I am absolutely exhausted. I'm wrecked. I can't even think about what it is that I should be talking about. Um, I know I normally do a bit of team news, but there really isn't any other than uh, Mikel Arteta is out, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is out. That is the team update. We've already discussed what the manager might do or might not do with his team. And um, my brain is operating at a level where... I think it needs to shut down for a while. Just needs to like just completely switch off and and not do anything. So uh, I apologize for the rather terse or abrupt way that this podcast is is coming to a close, but I think you know you you have to um know your limits. Is that right? Or you have to be able to accept when you're not in the the right frame of mind to do something, and I'm absolutely and completely not in the right frame of mind to do any more podcasting this evening. So I, I apologize. But hey, look, it doesn't happen very often, and I will be here on Monday with James. We'll have an Arscast Extra for you on Monday. Um, so all, all I can say is let's keep fingers crossed for tomorrow evening at Wembley. If you're going, have a great day out. Hopefully those wankers at Wembley won't spoil everything by playing the music too loud you know, drowning out the atmosphere of the fans and everything else. Um, And let's hope that we get the right result and find ourselves in an FA Cup final at the end of May, which will be jolly nice indeed. Don't know who it's going to be against yet. Aston Villa or Liverpool? Brendan Rodgers or Tim Sherwood? Whoever wins and whoever gets through, you know the FA Cup final is going to be between Arsenal and a team managed by a man that you would never, ever want your daughter to go out with. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. But look, I'm going to leave it there because I just I just can't. Um, I'll talk to you on the Arscast Extra on Monday. And of course, you'll be covering the match and everything uh, over the weekend. So fingers crossed, come on the Arsenal. Uh, and I'll catch you on next week's Arscast. So until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
Please note that the end bits of the Oscast are now sponsored by the History Channel and will contain snippets of informative and educational content. Today, we're looking at Archduke Anton Ferdinand. He was born in 1863 and was a prince of Hungary and Bohemia. In 1912, he invented the unicycle. In 1914, he was shot to death, bringing about the start of World War I. The assassin, one Bradley Cooper, escaped into space, traveling two years beyond Saturn and into a wormhole which would take him to a far distant galaxy. After killing Matt Damon on an icy planet, he then ended up behind a bookcase in his own house. A fucking bollocky bookcase in his own fucking house. Despite traveling light years through space and time, he's behind a fucking bookcase. In short, Christopher Nolan is a cunt. Please tune in next week for more from History and Bits. holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.